All right. Welcome, welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Final Final Podcast here. Carter Thompson, your host. As always, thanks for tuning in and listening to another episode. Sorry for the delay again. I had one ready, and then, of course, I got COVID. Didn't even know you could still get that in July. Who knew? No, but seriously, I was. Uh, everything's fine. I'm all good now. Thankfully, I've been vaccinated plus the booster, which I'm sure helped get rid of the uh, illness as quickly as possible over like a five-day period. So I'm all good there, thankfully, and now I'm able to return back to hopefully a semi-normal uh, podcast schedule that I've been trying to keep up with. So here we go with episode 52 today. What we're going to get into, MLB All-Star break and the trade deadline coming up. MLB All-Star break is over, which means we are in the second half of the MLB season coming down the home stretch. This is when it starts to get a little bit more interesting. You start to see the teams, who some of the favorites are. You know some of the teams that aren't going to be making the playoffs, some of the best players. Second half of the MLB season really starts to get exciting and gets it going here. So we'll talk about that. We have some NFL quarterback contract news that we'll talk about. NFL training camp got started just this past weekend. I think the Raiders kicked us off. We got the Bills. We've got other teams, Jaguars, other teams getting into training camp mode right now, which is exciting. So we got some NFL stuff. We've got some basketball still regarding Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, a big Woj bomb, Adrian Wojnarowski bomb, came in at like 2 in the morning last night. So we'll discuss that as well and just how, to me, how comical this whole situation is with the Brooklyn Nets. We'll discuss that. And then I've also got just a quick overview. We got one position group in fantasy football that we're going to discuss today. And then next episode, we'll talk about some more as well. So let's get into it. We're going to start with the MLB All-Star break and the trade deadline coming up. Second half of the season for the MLB for Major League Baseball. So the All-Star break was about exactly a week ago. MLB All-Star game was on Monday, I believe, a week ago on the 18th. MLB's All-Star break is absolutely the best in all of major sports in terms of its All-Star game, the All-Star weekend with the Home Run Derby, etc. I mean, the home, home Run Derby is always exciting. Sometimes I'm worried that it won't be in terms of they, they tried to put on some new rules. It used to be you get 10 outs, if you remember, for the Home Run Derby. So you get 10 non-home runs and then you're done. Now they put that three-minute time clock for each batter in the first two or three rounds, you get that three-minute time clock. And then they put that rule that you're supposed to wait for each ball to land. Thankfully, they got rid of that rule. So I was, I used to be worried that the home run derby was going to be less exciting. It's not. It's still very ex- exciting, especially when you got a guy like Julio Rodriguez, center fielder, rookie, by the way, for the Seattle Mariners, come out just mashing home runs. I mean, he set a record, I think. He went first two rounds with 30-plus home runs, and he doesn't even end up being the winner. And we'll talk about the winner a lot in depth here in just a second. But they got the home run derby, which is always exciting. And then you have the actual all-star game for baseball is better than all the other all-star games, football, basketball, hockey. So I don't know what their all-star weekends look like, but baseball, you can't beat it. NBA has gotten better, especially with this whole draft that they do. That might be the best part of theirs, unfortunately. But MLB still takes the cake here in best all-star game because if you were watching, the way that they mic up players is incredible. Of course, we've seen guys in the outfield be mic'd up. That's always fun. 
You sometimes they do it with a batter who's up next. He gets mic'd up, and you get to see his process while he's in the batter's box. But this year, they took it a step further, and they were miking up the pitcher on the mound, and it was absolutely amazing. I mean, listening to, I believe it was Toronto Blue Jays starting pitcher ace Alex Manoa, he was the pitcher that was mic'd up during the All-Star game. He's talking to the broadcasters, and they're asking him questions, his thought process going to attack each batter that comes up, having some fun with it as well. I mean, and then he proceeds to strike out three batters in the All-Star game was awesome. It was one of the coolest things that you'll see on TV, and it definitely helps baseball, keeps you interested, keeps you focused on the television for sure. I mean, it helps that you have Alex Manoa, this pitcher, who was one, really good, of course. Two, he's hilarious on TV. He was just great. And it's just all around great TV watching this. And then later in this same game, the broadcast had just the pitcher and the catcher mic'd up. No broadcaster, nothing. Just these two talking to each other, discussing how they're going to attack each batter. No broadcasters, just the pitcher, catcher, and then the ambient sounds of like a baseball game. The crowd in the background, some of the players. You hear all the, the bats, the swings. You can hear all that ambient sound. It's amazing stuff. Like I said, they have the outfielders mic'd up sometimes. The batters mic'd up is great too. They just took it a step further this year with these pitchers being mic'd up. I absolutely loved it. If you didn't get to see it, I'm sure you can find a video to watch it. It helps when you have Alex Manoa, who was just a great personality, to be your first pitcher to be mic'd up as well. I know they can't implement this in the regular season, unfortunately, probably. I mean, if they could, that would be awesome if they could somehow mic up a player in the regular season. I'm definitely positive it wouldn't happen in the postseason. But wow, that was uh, that was very cool with what the MLB does with their All-Star game. By far the best, in my opinion, which is weird because I like football and basketball much more <laughs> than baseball. But their All-Star game is, is phenomenal, what they've been able to do with the mics and, and all that stuff and everything that they've introduced to the game, even if it's tied. The way that they would have over uh, extra innings in overtime, I said. The way they would have extra innings in the All-Star game is a 3v3 AL versus NL home run derby swing-off, basically. The NL chooses three guys. The AL chooses three guys. Each guy gets three pitches, and whoever has the most home runs between 0 and 9, then that team wins the All-Star game. Like That's kind of actually a really cool sudden death instead of going into extra innings for an all-star game that teams I mean these teams care about that because I believe the AL and NL winner of the all-star game gets home field advantage in the world series when the time comes so it's still a big deal but what a fun way to end it that way as well very cool stuff that they do for the MLB all-star game and this year took it a step up absolutely loved it to get to some actual baseball news now stuff that pertain to the regular season second half of the season underway with the all-star breakover the trade deadline is coming up. I believe it's August 2nd. I might have to double-check that. I feel like it's August 2nd on a Tuesday, maybe August 3rd on a Wednesday. There is a player that is apparently available for trade that this type of player should never be available, you would think. His name is Juan Soto, outfielder for the Washington Nationals. This is the guy that actually won the home run derby this year at the age of 23. I believe last year he took second in the home run derby as well. This is a 23-year-old superstar, phenom, top three to five player in the MLB right now. Hasn't even hit his like actual prime 
and he's available for trade with the Washington Nationals. There's a couple things that go with this trade, and we'll, we'll, I'll try to break them down for you here kind of so you get the sense of what kind of deal is going to be happening for this guy and why this is such a big deal in the baseball world. Number one, Juan Soto, this kid at 23 years old, has been compared to, the, to just absolute legends in the game, guys like Ted Williams, Mike Trout, Mickey Mantle, Ken Griffey Jr. These are some guys that are top five, top ten players of all time. And Juan Soto at 23 years old has already been being compared to these guys. These guys. The guy has been in the major leagues since he was 19 years old. That's insane. He already has 117 career home runs. He made it to the big leagues at 19 years old. For comparison, one of the best players or one of the new rookies, put quotations around rookies because these guys have been drafted a couple years ago. One of the best new rookies that just came up to baseball this year is the Pittsburgh Pirates shortstop O'Neill Cruz. It's his first year in the big leagues. He's 24 years old. He's actually older than Juan Soto. He's been in the league for four years. This is his fifth year right now. So given all of this, you have a possible top 15 player of all time. He's a top three player right now. Hasn't even hit his, like, quote-unquote physical or uh, prime years of playing baseball yet that's usually when you're in your like 25 to 29 years why would a team consider trading a player of this caliber who is already actually on a hall of fame path already like i said with those comparisons to players that are considered top 10 and even top five of all time one reason juan soto has already rejected a 15-year 440 million dollar contract this wouldn't this contract to me is a little insulting to juan soto it wouldn't even put him in the top 10 of current paid players or pay, players paid on an average value. I believe it's in like the, the low 30 million, and he should be close to 45 plus million per year. I think the conversation for the Washington Nationals to extend this guy is going to start around 600 million for a guy like this. I mean, Mike Trout signed a deal that was 13 years, almost 500 million dollars. This guy is 23. You're going to get him from 23 to 35. Those are the best years of a player's career, and you're going to have to extend him. You're going to have to put him at the top of the payroll. So he rejected that offer. The Washington Nationals aren't going above that for some reason, so that's one reason he could be traded. They don't want to lose a player like that for free. They're not going to get nothing back in return for that, so that's why you would trade someone like this. Number two. Another reason that he could be traded. The Washington Nationals are an organization that have been rumored to be for sale in the coming years. There's nothing imminent. The, co the current owners have just been looking into it. And there's a couple things that come with that. Losing a player of this caliber likely brings the value of the organization down a little bit. But without him on the team, also, a new owner isn't stuck with a $600 million player on their payroll. It's something that the new owners have to consider. Maybe Juan Soto has to consider it as well. He doesn't want to be around for something like this in terms of turnover when it comes to just a new owner and all that comes with that, something that he might not want to do. The owners, I mean, they're already right now, the, the Nationals are a losing franchise, don't look to be like a winning one in the near future with the, the team that they have. He, they did win a championship back in 2019. But he also might not want to be straddled with a team for 15 years. He was also kind of lowballed on the initial contract. He said he likes D.C., 
But now he doesn't like that everything has gone public with their contract negotiations from the Washington Nationals saying, hey, this is we tried. We offered him this 15-year, $440 million contract. He's not going to accept that when it doesn't even put him in the top 10 of current paid players in the MLB. So they said, hey, we tried to get it. He wanted to keep this in-house to see if they could get a different kind of deal. And now it just looks like a player like this is on his way out. The thing, too, with Juan Soto, he's technically doesn't need to sign a new contract for at least, I believe it's three years, maybe two years. So I think it's this year plus two more years. So the reason that the Washington Nationals might look to trade him right now is because you have every team in play that can trade for this guy. This is not a one-year rental of a player like this. You get him for at least two seasons, and in those two seasons, you can try to extend him yourself then. So, but you don't have to. So you can get him for those two years and still have one of the top three baseball players on your team for the next two to three seasons. Then you can try to extend him as well. You don't have to extend him in the first year. You don't have to extend him in the second year. But you have the opportunity to do that, which allows almost every team, even the small market teams, like the Milwaukee Brewers are a small market team. Some of the other, like the Pittsburgh Pirates, it's not a team that would probably trade for Both of these teams are unlikely teams that would trade for him, but they're the small market teams that could if they wanted to because his dollar value per year isn't something egregious right now with that smaller contract, that rookie arbitration deal contract that he still has. But every year that the Nationals wait, if he's not going to re-sign with them, they lose trade value on him because then teams like, if it's a small market team that trades for him, they're not going to just trade everything away for one year of a guy if they're not going to be able to re-sign him and it'd be able to pay that five, $600 million payroll that a guy like this should command. So right now, every team can technically afford to trade for Juan Soto in terms of giving away prospects, giving away maybe current MLB players as well. The one thing that some of these teams can't afford is giving him a new contract, but that's not a concern right now, which is why his trade value is at an all-time high because not everybody can afford that new payroll that he's going to command, but you don't have to give that to him right now. That can be pushed down the road possibly. That's why a team like the Washington Nationals is questioning or is possibly even considering trading an all-time player like Juan Soto who or who has all-time traits and potential and has shown in the short four years that he's been in the MLB that, wow, this guy compares to some of the best players in MLB history. That's why they can consider that. All these factors. One, he's already rejected a deal that they kind of lowballed him on. Maybe they don't think they can go any higher than that. And two, this is a team that is in transition, could be possibly new owners, the new owners, and this could be something that is holding up the sale of the team. They're like, what are we doing with this player? Is he going to be on the team for 10 plus years or are we trading him away? Are we getting rid of this kind of payroll? That could be something that is holding up the sale. The new owners could want to know the resolution of this whole thing before they buy a franchise like the Washington Nationals, which I think right now the sale is around, they think it could be $2 billion, possibly $3 billion for the Washington Nationals to be sold. So you've got, he already rejected a lowball deal. You got new owners coming in, and then you've got 
the fact that every team in baseball could possibly trade for him right now, which makes his value incredibly high, almost like a bidding war for one of the top five players in baseball right now. That's kind of where we're at with Juan Soto and how he could be traded and why he even is in the consideration of being traded. If a deal hadn't even been offered yet, then I'd say the Washington Nationals are dumb for trading a player like this. But they have offered him a deal, in my opinion, a lowball deal. If they're not going to go any higher, then of course you trade a player like this to see how much you can get back. Now, number four, what this means for every other team trying to make a trade for this kind of player. Like I said, every team has the possibility to do this because of his low average annual value or what he's being paid per year right now. It's low right now, like I said, with that low rookie arbitration deal. So every other team, I mean, you're getting one of the top five players in baseball right now and could possibly go down as an all-time great. But what you have to give up is some big-time future assets and maybe a few big leaguers in the process. I believe the Nationals want at least a couple of guys that are ready to play in the MLB right now and then a couple of prospects that are ranked very highly that maybe aren't quite ready for the big leagues right now. But this is a future investment for the Washington Nationals for a player like this. I mean, a player like this doesn't become and shouldn't become available like ever. So it'll be interesting to see what is in the deal by the deadline if he gets traded this year. I mean, some of the potential teams, some of the more likely teams that he gets traded to, the bit, you got the big market teams. You got the New York Yankees, the New York Mets, Los Angeles Dodgers. These are the teams that are always in almost, it seems like, every possible trade scenario. And it's because they have the rich owners and they have the money to just pay everybody on their team. Remember, there's no salary cap in baseball. So the Yankees can pay, well, like probably 200 plus million for their team, maybe 250 plus million for their entire team. Then you've got the Oakland Athletics who are paying, what was it, 47 million for their entire opening day roster, where Juan Soto could be making 47 million in two years, you know? So, that, I mean, that's where you got no salary cap. That's why the Yankees, Dodgers, even the Mets, they're in consideration for almost every deal. So those are some obvious big market candidates. Other teams that have been willing to spend recently, San Diego Padres could be a team. They've got two t- big-time players, Fernando Tatis Jr., Manny Machado, pair in a top-five player in Juan Soto. You got a very, very competitive team out there in the West. You got the Texas Rangers. I told you what they did in an earlier podcast episode this offseason where they signed two players for a combined, what was it, $500 million. So they're willing to spend money, and clearly they're thinking they're in win-now mode, getting two players for that kind of money. I mean, they have the cash to spend on Juan Soto and probably the players to go get him if they want. Chicago White Sox, Atlanta Braves spend some money, Toronto Blue Jays, and the St. Louis Cardinals. All possibilities these teams have shown that they're willing to spend on a player for the contract extension. And we've seen teams like the St. Louis Cardinals give up a considerable amount of trade assets to get a guy like Nolan Arenado. You know, so you've seen a couple of these teams that I've mentioned willing to make a big swing in the trade market. So those are some of the teams that I expect definitely to be at the top of the rumor mill, and I would expect he ends up on one of those teams. You're not going to see a team like Oakland, most likely not like the Milwaukee Brewers, the Pittsburgh Pirates, some of these very small market teams where the owner, I mean, you you just look at the payroll 
of the opening day starter of the opening day roster for those teams. You look at the bottom five; those teams, those teams probably aren't going to be trading for a guy like Juan Soto because eventually, you give up that much future capital for this kind of player. You're going to have to give up. It's probably going to be like six prospects is usually six or seven players for this one player. You give up that much for a guy, you're going to want him on your team longer than just the two years. You're going to want to give him a contract extension. Well, that contract extension is going to be in the $500 million range, maybe close to the $600 million range. And with baseball contracts, remember, they're fully guaranteed, so you're not going to see the smaller market teams go for a player like this. I'm very interested to see what happens with Juan Soto. I mean, this is almost like trading Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen right now in the NFL. That's the type of player that is available. Obviously, with baseball, there's a difference between football and baseball. One baseball player isn't going to make or break your team in terms of you winning the championship. We've seen that. The The Los Angeles Angels have the two best players, I think, in baseball right now, in Mike Trout and Shohei Otani. They have the two best players in baseball, and they're not even going to make the playoffs, it looks like this year. So obviously, that there's the debt difference between the NFL and the MLB, but Juan Soto is a top five player. That'd be like trading Josh Allen right now in, in football is kind of what's going on with, with the Washington Nationals, and it's kind of crazy. I'm very interested to see uh, where he ends up, but I would like to see him on a winning team. I like to see the best players on, on winning teams. I'd like to see them in the playoffs. I'd like to see Mike Trout in the playoffs. So Juan Soto on a losing team right now with the Nationals, we'll see. I really don't want him to go to the Dodgers or the Yankees, though, because, man, that's just not fun watching them win. I mean, the Yankees haven't won in a while, which is funny, but, like, the Dodgers, they just won, like, what, two years ago or something like that. That's no fun. I also don't want him to see him on the Cardinals because that's a Brewer rival, but I would like to see him on a potential winning team, maybe the Mets. That might be interesting to see. But we will see what happens with Juan Soto, the 23-year-old superstar phenom, of the Washington Nationals. There's a lot going into this trade, especially because of the team possibly being sold. It'll be interesting to see how this all ends up. All right, let's move on to NFL training camp. That has started this past weekend. I believe, like I said, I'm not sure if I said the Oakland Raiders earlier, but it's the Las Vegas Raiders that kicked it off, got training camp underway. One big contract has been signed. Kyler Murray signs a contract extension of five years, $260.5 million, second highest average annual value behind Aaron Rodgers, who's at the $50 million mark. Kyler Murray now slides into that second spot at $46.1 million, $160 million guaranteed. The interesting thing about this contract is seeing how Deshaun Watson's contract was fully guaranteed. We thought, was that going to change how NFL contracts were going to be done for quarterbacks. Deshaun Watson got the first fully guaranteed deal in NFL history. You saw it, you see it in basketball, you see it in baseball. Baseball, all contracts are fully guaranteed money, basically. You don't see it in football. Deshaun Watson kind of changed that, and we were wondering, the media and myself included, were wondering, was that going to be the new standard now for quarterbacks and it, it would have been really crappy if Deshaun Watson would have been the one that set that example, given everything that's that's happened with him. But we see this now with Kyler Murray's deal, $160 million guaranteed. So he doesn't get a fully guaranteed deal. Somehow the Cardinals, 
able to convince either Kyler Murray and his agent that Deshaun Watson's was a one-off and that's not how new contracts should be done. Kyler Murray does get more money on the average annual value than Deshaun Watson does. He's at Deshaun Watson's at $46 million. Kyler Murray got an extra $500,000 to put his at $46.1 million. But Kyler's contract keeps him with the Cardinals through 2027. I think also the GM and the head coach, Steve Keim and Cliff Kingsbury for the Cardinals have been signed through 2027. So this team now is put together for the next five years. We'll see what they can do with Cliff, Steve Keim, and Kyler Murray at the quarterback. It'll be interesting to see. I like this move for the Cardinals. I mean, if you don't have an upgrade at quarterback, you sign a guy like this. Kyler Murray, I think, is right on the edge of possibly being a top 10 quarterback. If I made a list, I mean, off the top of my head, he's probably at between, he could go anywhere from 9 to 12, in my opinion. I mean, you're not you're just not going to get a better quarterback, most likely, when you have a team that's basically ready to compete right now. So this makes a lot of sense for the Cardinals. Made the playoffs last year. Now you hope this year they take an even, maybe another step, maybe win a playoff game, get closer to Super Bowl contention. So I like this for the Arizona Cardinals. Making this deal makes a lot of sense. What this deal sets up now is precedence for Lamar Jackson's deal. This is the one that everybody's been waiting for because Lamar Jackson, of course, he's going to get more money than Kyler Murray. How much guaranteed money is going to be the big question because Lamar Jackson also has an MVP on his resume, also has a playoff win on his resume. So Lamar Jackson's deal is up next. But then again, we don't know what Lamar Jackson wants. We're not sure if he wants to stay in Baltimore, if he actually wants to reach free agency. I mean, you've got when Kirk Cousins has kind of used his leverage to get most of it, he might have a fully guaranteed like two-year deal or something like that. So, I mean, Deshaun Watson got the first like five-year fully guaranteed deal where uh, Kirk Cousins' deal is like adding another year on just because of the cap hit that he does. His, His is set up nicely. But if Lamar Jackson, if he wants to hit free agency because then maybe he can... He can command whatever he wants then once he becomes a free agent. It'll basically be like a Deshaun Watson scenario where if Lamar Jackson wants the most money, he'll go to the team that says, hey, we'll give you the five-year, $285, $290 million deal, and we'll fully guarantee it. That's why Deshaun Watson went to the Cleveland Browns instead of a team like either the New Orleans Saints or the Atlanta Falcons or the Carolina Panthers. The reason he went to the Cleveland Browns was because the Browns outbid the Panthers, Falcons, Saints, by saying, we'll fully guarantee your deal. We'll give you all $260 million guaranteed. We'll also make sure that when you get suspended that you don't lose your money. So in year one, you make a million, and then you get a $45 million signing bonus. They gave Deshaun Watson everything they wanted. Lamar Jackson, if he reaches free agency, will be able to do that and beyond some because he won't have the question marks off the field like Deshaun Watson, and he also has an MVP on his resume as well. So it'll be very interesting to see Kyler Murray's extension. That sets the floor for Lamar Jackson. Now, if he re-signs with the Ravens, it'll be more than that. He'll probably average around $48 million per season. It's just what Lamar Jackson wants to do that nobody knows. If he wants to stay in Baltimore, why hasn't he re-signed yet? Does he actually want to reach free agency, which will still be another like three years, two years after his contract is actually up, because then the Ravens, of course, will put on the franchise tag on Lamar Jackson. 
So we shall see what goes on with Lamar Jackson's deal. That's the big quarterback deal that is up next that we're interested to see. Other quarterback news as well. Jimmy Garoppolo's agents have been given the green light to search out a trade for the quarterback. This means that the 49ers haven't found a deal that they like yet that somebody has offered them for the quarterback. So now they're just saying, hey, Jimmy, you and your agent can go and try and convince teams to give up this to get you. You can bring it back to us if we like it. Great. If not, got to keep searching. So it's not like Jimmy G is now just all of a sudden been like out in the trade market. He's been in the trade market this entire offseason. 49ers haven't been offered anything they like, so now they're letting his agent, giving him the green light, letting him go out to teams and ask, hey, are you willing to give up this? For me, the number one landing spot, I think, for Jimmy Garoppolo would be the New York Giants. I would like to see him there with new head coach Brian Dayball. You got some potential offensive weapons there. You got Kenny Galladay, Kadarius Toney, Saquon Barkley. You got a pretty good offensive line in at least building right now in New York. I don't think Daniel Jones is the answer. I don't even think, I mean, if you can get a guy like Jimmy G, it puts them in contention to make the playoffs, especially with the NFC East being very weak. So that's a potential team. The Seattle Seahawks, I don't know if they would trade in the division, but it looks like they're going to be riding with Drew Locke this season, maybe Geno Smith, yikes. That's who the Seahawks might be going with, the Atlanta Falcons. I don't know how much if they're willing to give up anything for Jimmy G because they're not going to be in contention for the playoffs. Jimmy G's not necessarily a guy you build your future around anymore. I mean, should the 49ers tr even trade him? Should they hang on to him if, if Trey Lance isn't working out? It looks like Trey Lance is going to be the starter this year. But what if he struggles? Now you have the best backup in the NFL and Jimmy Garoppolo who can come in and still win you football games as a team that is looking to compete this year still. They have a winning roster, the 49ers do. So it'll be interesting to see. My gut reaction to this is I don't think he's going to be traded. It doesn't sound like the 49ers are getting anything they want. If they ha if To give him up, they might have to pay some of his salary, and they might not want to do that, especially I don't know how sold they are on Trey Lance yet. Of course, you hear all this great stuff coming out from the 49ers. They're not going to like bash him and say that he hasn't improved or anything like that. But my thinking is, is they're going to hang on to Jimmy Garoppolo. It, it could be a trade deadline kind of thing with Jimmy Garoppolo. Maybe if Trey Lance really works out, could be one of the bigger trade deadline moves that we've seen in NFL history because we don't get a lot of huge names traded at the NFL trade deadline. But Jimmy Garoppolo could be one of them. But I think to start the season, Jimmy Garoppolo will end up staying on the San Francisco 49ers. All right. Final thought then today on this episode of the Final Final Podcast. I told you we'd get to Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving in the NBA basketball. They still have not been traded. I told you the rumors until anything is concrete with this whole deal would be we're going to be wild, a lot of fun. Now the new like one of the, the newer thing was Durant might not actually want out of Brooklyn. He just wants Kyrie out of Brooklyn. I mean, do you remember maybe, what, four or five episodes ago, I said these two wanted to be traded out of Brooklyn but still play together on the same team. That's why the Los Angeles Lakers were a potential destination. But so now Kevin Durant doesn't want to play with his buddy Kyrie. I mean, they were best buds at the beginning of all this, apparently. But now here we stand. There's two new 
big rumors, reportings, I don't know what you want to call it. One of the reportings, this one's actually really big, is Kevin Durant or the Boston Celtics have offered the Brooklyn Nets a trade for Kevin Durant, Jalen Brown, Derek White, and a first round pick for Kevin Durant. That's obviously not enough. That might have been maybe just their first offer, but the Celtics have now entered the trade negotiations. The Nets have said they will take Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, Derek White, and at least two more first-round picks and possibly another role player for Kevin Durant. So maybe a guy like Grant Williams. So, I mean, that's a, that's quite a bit to give up for Kevin Durant. But then this is what happened when this gets leaked, probably by the Brooklyn Nets. Jalen Brown of the Boston Celtics, who was mentioned in this trade negotiation here, comes out on Twitter and posts, shaking my head with, I think, a like a frowning face. So, of course, he's not happy now that he's been thrown into these trade negotiations. I mean, he just came off of a year, an all-star year with the Boston Celtics. Him and Jason Tatum led the team to the NBA Finals. And now the team, I mean, it's a business. This is why when players, when anyone says a player should take less money for a hometown discount or anything like that, I throw this back in their face because this is a business where these players are easily tradable assets, even if they don't want to leave. So, I mean, for me, this doesn't seem like a move that the Boston Celtics need to make. This is one of the best rosters in the NBA, in my opinion. They brought in Malcolm Brogdon. So you've got another starting point guard, a true point guard that they think now. So you've got Brogdon, Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Al Horford. you got Robert Williams either coming off the bench as a potential defensive player of the year as well. you got Derek White, Grant Williams. And I think I'm missing one other player as well. That Oh, yeah, they got like Peyton Prichard who can, who can hit some buckets for them as well. This is a very deep team that upgraded that just went to the NBA Finals. I mean, KD and Tatum together, I mean, we do this every time when there's a potential for a big trade. It's like, oh, Kevin Durant, Jason Tatum, immediate Finals favorites or immediate Eastern Conference favorites. It's like we haven't even seen them play together. They have played together in the olympics for team usa but that's with a whole bunch of other superstar players so you're not really it's just one of those things where you don't know how that dynamic is going to work out where i think the dynamic of this team right now you got one of the best defensive teams in the nba added another great defensive player malcolm brogdon is a great defensive player also can get you 15 a night while also being your floor general i don't know i don't know it's it's interesting to give up all that depth I mean, now your starting five turns into Malcolm Brogdon, Jason Tatum, Kevin Durant, like Robert Williams, and Al Horford. Then who do you have coming off the bench? You lost Derek White. You don't have Marcus Smart anymore. And you're probably going to lose Grant Williams as well. Now you have a great starting five. We've seen that already. We've seen that you need more than a great starting five as well. So it's it's an interesting move for the Celtics. I'm not sure how much... I like it for them. Obviously, for Kevin Durant, that seems like a great move for him. The Nets should be getting more, though, than Jalen Brown, Derek White, and a first-round pick. If they got Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, Derek White, Grant Williams, and three first-round picks, absolutely the Brooklyn Nets, I think, should do that, especially if Kevin Durant wants out of there. But like I said, remember, this is a guy that has four years guaranteed on his contract left. They need to be getting a lot. 
And if they're going to get a Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart kind of tandem back for him along with three future first-round picks, I mean, that's a team that can still compete for a play-in spot in the play-in tournament and has future assets to continue to build this team. That makes a lot of sense for them. I don't like it as much for the Celtics if they have to give up that much to get Kevin Durant. Obviously, if they could have given up Kevin Durant for Jalen Brown, Derek White, and the first-round pick, absolutely. But if you have to give up four players, four contributing players for Kevin Durant, you've lost the rest of your team. So it'll be interesting to see. I don't think this is going to come to fruition. I don't think Kevin Durant is going to be traded to the Boston Celtics. Also, the other nugget that I was talking about that was reported, now apparently Kyrie Irving is okay staying and playing in Brooklyn, even if Kevin Durant is not there. What? Where did this come from? It was like two and a half, three weeks ago, maybe a month ago, I'm going to say two and a half, three weeks, where Kyrie Irving was telling fans with their phones on him saying, oh yeah, I'm definitely going to LA. Where now has this come from that he's okay staying in Brooklyn without a new contract? I have no idea. I told you, the rumors, until anything is concrete, was going to be wild. They were going to be fun. Kyrie wanting to go to LA. Kevin Durant and Kyrie in LA. Kevin Durant to Phoenix. Kevin Durant and Kyrie want to play together. No, wait, Kevin Durant wants to stay, but he wants Kyrie gone. They're best buds. Oh my goodness, now they're not. Now Kyrie's willing to stay. It's all over the place. I told you, this was going to be erratic and all over the place since uh, until anything comes. I'm starting to think that they're both just going to stay in Brooklyn. I don't know what anything is going to be accomplished here. I don't think anything is going to get done from this. It's very, very dumb, but it's hilarious to me. Other basketball news as well. All-star Donovan Mitchell and the Utah Jazz are open to a trade involving Donovan Mitchell after the Utah Jazz traded away Rudy Gobert. Jazz are going to into basically a full rebuild. They want picks. They want draft picks galore. And everyone knows that the Knicks, New York Knicks, are the number one suitor for Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell hasn't requested a trade. So nothing is like being pushed. There's no timeline. There's no deadline to get Donovan Mitchell traded. But the New York Knicks badly want Donovan Mitchell to be on their team because it's New York and they want a superstar on their team. To me, this makes a lot of sense for both parties. I don't think the Utah Jazz should try to hang on to Donovan Mitchell for any reason. I don't think Donovan Mitchell by himself gets them, I mean, maybe into the play-in tournament, but I don't think they're a playoff team with just Donovan Mitchell. So I think this makes a lot of sense for the Utah Jazz to move off of him and just get even more draft picks. Go full Oklahoma City Thunder, basically, and get as many first-round draft picks. I mean, Oklahoma City has... 16 first-round draft picks, I think, in the next five years. Do the same thing, Utah. You're not going to get that many, I don't think, but they should definitely be trying to get Donovan Mitchell. I don't think they should try to hang on to Donovan Mitchell is what I'm trying to say. The New York Knicks, I think they can take advantage of the New York Knicks, the Utah Jazz can, because everybody knows how badly they want an all-star in New York. We'll see how that works. All right. Final, final thought then today on this episode of the Final, Final Podcast. Fantasy football, I know what pick I am this year in my 12-team league that has brutal punishments if you lose. 
has a lot of winnings if you win. It's a ton of fun. It's with some of my best friends from high school days. One of my favorite, definitely one of my favorite times of the year is fantasy football for sure. 12-team league, I have pick number 11 this year. I didn't get the choice. I was stuck with this one because we do a couple of things in the offseason like March Madness brackets, Super Bowl prop bets. Then we tally all that up. Whoever has the most points from that gets to pick which pick they want. I had the least amount of points, so I was stuck with whatever pick was still available, and I got pick 11. So I'm excited to see how it works out. I have a strategy this year that I'm going to try with pick number 11. I'm not going to give it to you because some of my friends listen to this podcast and I wouldn't want to just like spoil my draft this year. I'm excited to try it out. We'll see how it goes. It's been, I made the playoffs this past year, but it's been a couple years since I've been like a contender for like championship. So we're going to see how it goes this year. One thing I'm stuck on though with pick number 11 is whether or not to take a tight end really, really early. It's something I'm stuck on every year. Do I want a Travis Kelsey or a Mark Andrews caliber tight end? Right now, those guys are being mocked at the end of the second round, early third round. And I'm at the end of the third round, obviously. So if I want to take one of those guys, my I would take them at pick like 14. That seems a little early for one of those guys. Do I want a guy like Kyle Pitts with questionable quarterback play? George Kittle with his injury history and Trey Lance at the helm. I mean, Darren Waller. Do I take a flyer at the end? I'm just struggling right now trying to determine when the right time is to take a tight end. It's all personal preference when it comes to taking a tight end. Some guys, I mean, heck, last year, Travis Kelsey, I think, was the fifth overall pick in our league. So I've been doing my research trying to see how much added value a tight end like Travis Kelsey or Mike Andrews can add. Last year, Mark Andrews had over 300 points. I think he would have been good for wide receiver like five last year, wide receiver four or five behind. I think he would have been behind Cooper Cup, Devontae Adams, Debo Samuel, and maybe Jamar Chase. So I think Mark Andrews would have been good enough for wide receiver five. That's better than guys like Justin Jefferson last year, Stephon Diggs last year, Mike Evans last year, Keenan Allen. So, I mean, do you take a guy like that at the 14th overall pick? Or do you take a guy like Kyle Pitts who could potentially you get better value? It's just where you get the value with these guys. Something that I've been trying to determine. Today, I'll give you my top 12 tight ends in fantasy football for this upcoming season. Remember, fantasy football, not real-life rankings, not how I'd rank the tight ends in terms of total value. This is just fantasy value. I've got 12 of them right here, and I'll list them off for you. Next episode, we'll get to the wide receiver and running backs. Those are all over the place still, and I love it, but uh, tight ends are are pretty uh, solidified in terms of at least the top six guys, but then when you get to the top 12, since I'm in a 12-person league, that's why I'll do 12 for each position. All right, tight ends. This is the one I've been struggling most on when to select one, but here's my top 12 personally for the upcoming fantasy football year. Travis Kelsey, Mark Andrews, one and two. These guys are their number one options on their team with Tyree Hill gone, Marquise Brown gone in Baltimore. So I've got those guys as the top two ranked tight ends. Then I've got Darren Waller as number three, Kyle Pitts at number four. I mean, Darren Waller, It's inch, I'm not, I wasn't sure where to put him, whether behind Kyle Pitts or not, but I think Darren Waller 
will have a bounce back year. He was injured for a couple of games last year. And I'm not sure if the Devontae Adams thing hurts him or helps him. Devontae Adams is going to get 150-plus targets, but it's also going to open up Darren Waller a lot as well. I think Darren Waller can easily be the second-leading receiver on that team. I think the one that takes the biggest hit is going to be Hunter Renfro on that team. So that's why I still like Darren Waller as a potential top-three tight end. Then you got Kyle Pitts. This is another guy that could potentially lead the team in targets, receptions, yards, touched. He, I mean, he only had one touchdown last year. That's really what hurt him. But Kyle Pitts could be the leading receiver on the Falcons. Just the question is, how much do you like Marcus Mariota as his quarterback? I mean, I like Derek Carr a lot better than, than Marcus Mariota. That's why I put Waller ahead of Kyle Pitts. Then you got Dalton Schultz for me to round out my top five at the tight end spot. George Kittle at the number six spot. I put Schultz just ahead of Kittle because Schultz now doesn't have, I mean, it's going to be CeeDee Lamb and Dalton Schultz as the one and two guys. No Michael Gallup to start the year. No Amari Cooper anymore as well. Not sure how much Zeke Elliott and Tony Pollard are going to be receiving threats out of the backfield. So it's going to be Schultz and CeeDee Lamb getting a lot of targets to begin the season for sure. George Kittle has a little bit of an injury history now that you're a little bit worried about. But he's always been around a top five tight end in the NFL. It's just the value of taking him that high. He hasn't yielded those kind of results of a Mark Andrews at 300-plus points. So George Kittle with Trey Lance. We'll see if he becomes like Trey Lance's security blanket. That would be great. That's why I have George Kittle at six. I have Zach Ertz as my seventh-ranked tight end. No DeAndre Hopkins to start the season. This guy was explosive for the Cardinals when he got traded to them last year. I think it's going to be Marquis. I mean, there's no Christian Kirk on this team as well. I think he's going to be the guy that sees a bunch of targets to begin the season. He's going to be a top three tight end, I think, for the first couple weeks until DeAndre Hopkins comes back from suspension. So I like Zach Ertz a lot. TJ Hawkinson. What do I have then? Hunter Henry as my ninth-ranked tight end. Cole Komet from the Chicago Bears as my 10th-ranked tight end. I think he could be Justin Fields' number one or two option. Darnell Mooney and him could lead the team in targets, so I like Cole Komet as kind of a surprise, maybe a flyer tight end. And then 11 and 12, I have Pat Fryermuth and Dawson Knox, three guys that I'm fading. Dallas Goddard, I'm not a big fan of from the Philadelphia Eagles. They bring in a guy, A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, so they got two big-time receivers. And this is also a run-first team. So he's the third option for receiving on a run-first team offense. I don't like that a lot from my tight end spot. I'm fading Dallas Goddard. Mike Gesicki, same kind of thing. This is gonna. They have big-time weapons in Jalen Waddell and Tyreek Hill for Tua Tagovailoa. And this is also going to be a run-first team, I think. You come from, you got Mike McDaniels at the head coaching spot coming from that Kyle Shanahan tree. They like to run the ball. Everything's predicated off running the ball. And I think when they throw it, it'll be with Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddell. So I don't like Mike Gusecki as much. And then Noah Fant, obviously, gets traded from the Broncos to the Seahawks. He still has Drew Locke, maybe Geno Smith as his quarterback. So it's just not a great situation for Noah Fant as a top 12 tight end so those are those are my top 12 tight ends i'll give you the wide receiver and running back rankings in my next episode for sure i've got kind of a rough outline of the top 12 right now but tight ends are are kind of solidified 
My next thing that I have to figure out is when do I want to take one? Do I want to take one with my second round pick early? That gets the second, second round pick as I have pick number 11. Do I want to wait till the third round, possibly grab a guy like Kyle Pitts, maybe Dalton Schultz? That's a little early. Do I wait till the seventh round once I have all the rest of my wide receivers and running backs and maybe even a quarterback at that time? Something that you have to figure out, when is it worth it to grab a top tight end? You don't want to be the guy that's stuck with the last option at tight end, that's for sure. Find when the value is to grab one of these top tight ends in your fantasy football leagues this upcoming year. All right, that's all I have for you on this episode of the Final Final Podcast. Next episode, we'll get into more fantasy football. Like I said, training camp will have every team, I think, in training camp at that point will be fully underway. I'm very excited about that as well. And then we'll see as well if Kevin Durant has been traded or not. I believe the baseball trade deadline will have come by the time we get to our next episode also. So we'll have a lot for that episode next week as well. All right. Thanks for tuning in. As always, you are listening to The Final Final.